Baisa, good to have you with us in studio. Anders, thank you so much. I'm loving this studio. It's fabulous to be in person and having this conversation. I know, in this disrupted world where we don't get to spend as much time face-to-face anymore, it's, it's great to be talking all things tech, exponentiality and, and sustainability with you. Fantastic. We were just trying to kind of go back to the source, to the origins of you and actually you and I actually meeting. And yes. we couldn't actually put a finger on it, whether it was through Singularity University, whether it's through EO. Or the Speakers Institute, or just generally being a very impactful person in yeah. the local community. Yeah. And I think we manifested being able to meet and now creating even more impact together. Yeah. Everything is connected in the world of Internet of Things and also maybe even energetically. So here we find ourselves. And in true EO style, it was actually on a super yacht that we had our very first conversation that's starting to talk about how we're changing the world and what we can actually do to make the world better. How sustainable. <laughs> oh, gosh. Yeah, is that a good start for us? I don't know. Well, actually, uh, it's probably a really good question there of how do you – live this amazing, incredible life as well as, you know, being part of EO, we're doing once-in-a-lifetime experiences. Are you conscious about your carbon footprint and how then you balance out your own personal impact? Yeah, I mean, uh, for a number of years, um, I was potentially a bit of a carbon bandit, right? I, you know, I think I clocked up a, a sort of a record of 240 international travel days a year and it sort of pains me to say it. Uh, at the time, that was a bit of a sales pitch to kind of show how global a citizen I was. They were all carbon offset flights, I should say. But, you know, nonetheless, that kind of lifestyle is not neither sort of a, you know, conscious enterprise to some degree, nor is it a very, consum- you know, conscious consumption of resources. And I think from an events perspective, certainly having been part of that industry for so many years, there's certainly a lot of events that weren't very sustainable. But I think kind of through this pandemic portal in the future, I see, you know, that the zeitgeist is sort of shifting towards sustainability on certainly sustainable enterprise. What What's your experience? We actually have a saying, and it's once you see it, you can't unsee it. And so my experience was actually that I had an engineering business that I sold back in 2012, and we did large-scale process control and automation, primarily for mining and utilities. And so there were some really cool things in that where we actually wrote the reverse osmosis process for the Sydney desalination plant. However, we also did automated coal train loading to be able to increase efficiencies through coal and digging things out of the ground, and um, we were very much... uh, probably increasing the carbon footprint. And my journey was after selling that business, I went to Singularity University in Silicon Valley at the the NASA campus over there in Mountain View. And I walked in and I saw a sign that said, how will you have a positive impact on 1 billion people in the next 10 years? And I actually stood back and I needed to take that in a little bit because if you think about it, that you know, what impact do we actually have? And there's 7.7 billion people in the world. And rising. And rising, absolutely. We can get into the history of the human when we were actually uh, increased a billion population. wasn't actually that long ago. And 1930, I think it was 2 billion people, and it's increased quite significantly in the last 100 years. So to think about impacting a billion people as a single individual was kind of breathtaking to 
think about, is it, you know, yourself and your immediate family, your local community, your country, or the entire world? What is your personal impact? And so that led me down this path. And I think as EO community, we're all about learning and constant and never-ending improvement. And so once we see some of these things, and I think the conversations are growing and a lot of people have been talking about it, what I would love for us to talk about and help encourage people is to take action. I won't break out into song with Elvis, a little less conversation, a little more action. Mm -hmm. I will say it in a nice smooth voice without my uh, best singing. It's all right. We uh, get we get the point. I'm sure we're going to break out in song at some point. However, it's, it's about action now mm. and we've seen that happening and, and the conversation's increasing. So let's uh, share with everyone the actions that people are taking. So I think this is what's so fantastic. Um, we've been dealing with clients recently where some of them were saying, hey, we thought that, you know, clean was the new green through the pandemic because everyone became a germaphobe for very valid reasons, right? Yes, clean became cool again, you know, uh, but at the same time, it wasn't just that people started wearing disposable masks and doing these things that are actually sort of environmental, environmental banditry, easy to say if you're Swedish, but they also grew more conscious in their consumption. And, you know, the statistics tell us that, for example, 34% of premium car brand owners across Europe would switch their car brand, so say an Audi or a BMW or a Jaguar, Land Rover, whatever it happens to be, if a similar brand on the same sort of scale of premiumness would show more sustainable credentials. Through the pandemic, we saw 9% growth of organic food market in, in the UK, and 9 out of 10 Aussie consumers would be happy to pay a premium for sustainable products. So I feel like there's been this huge shift right now where people are more aware and they're also happy to kind of back a more sustainable purchase. So beyond just doing the right thing for the planet, for, for people, it's also the right thing for profit because that's where the dollar is going. And of course, you know, the likes of Larry Fink at BlackRock, et cetera, you know, he won't invest in you unless you're a sustainable company doing well on environmental, social and governance measures. Uh, but also the consumer is most likely going to abandon you. So I think this is a conversation all entrepreneurs need to be having, right? Yes, in short, yes, need good. to be having. And and I'd love to set a little bit of context around that. And we're talking about the Sustainable Development Goals from the United Nations here, which is the 2030 targets. And to put things into contrast, I'd love to just briefly go back in history a little bit and think about how our brains have actually evolved over the last 250,000 years. And we mentioned just the population increase currently. Uh, if we think about our mindset over that time, being scarcity and where's our next meal coming from and a number of uh, different things that were always uh, food and, and life was quite scarce. What we've noticed and Homo sapiens have only been around for 50,000 years, is that the – and I'm not sure. Have you read Sapiens? I have. One of my favourite books. Oh, my goodness. Yuval. Yeah. And so that's an action that we can share with our viewers, our audience. Read is, Yuval Noah Harari's book, yes. Absolutely, with Sapiens. And so I think about the last 50,000 years where we've actually been a lot wiser mm. – we used to be, before that, in the middle of the food chain. 
So before humans were actually smart, there are also four species of humans out there. And so our evolution and the way that we've actually led was traditionally through fear. And then humans became the top of the food chain. And the one thing that I really loved as part of that book was that anyone or apex predator that was at the top of the food chain always had wisdom. And so if we bring that forward to today with sustainability and we're talking about the sustainability of the planet and society and people, how are we actually leading with wisdom? And so the United Nations Sustainable Development Goals is great because it's almost like a to-do list. There's 169 sub-goals as part of those 17 SDGs. How are we actually going to help then use the collective wisdom of society to be able to work on what's important? And is there a lot of wisdom in enterprise or entrepreneurship, do you think? There's an increasing amount of wisdom. And I always love the analogy, and, and you mentioned how corporates and, and enterprise are actually being a lot more switched on, and they're talking about mm -hmm. this, and it's never been a better time to be doing it. In the past five years, it was probably a competitive advantage if people were talking about sustainability and if they were doing things that were positive for people and planet. However, in the next five years, I think it'll be a competitive disadvantage if you're not doing it. And so we're seeing this huge shift where organisations and businesses are actually educating themselves and then being able to take those actions and step forward because if they don't, then the likeliness of them being disrupted is quite high. And I would say not just a competitive disadvantage but also potentially a massive existential risk. I mean, we always say to our clients that, you need to change now. You need to transform now before regulation actually forces you to do it and you're going to look really bad that you didn't actually become sustainable while that was still a choice, but you were forced into doing it. I mean, we can think of, you know, the massive investments into stranded assets where you know that in, you know, in Europe, for example, there are now cities, there are now countries that are outlawing, you know, diesel engines, for example. And so, that's regulation happening. And of course, you know, we see the automotive industry moving at scale. And that's a pretty amazing kind of example, right? Or where one company, I would say Tesla, really drove that as, you know, as sort of this exponential goal of impacting, you know, at least a billion people and trying to change the, not just the automotive industry, but a systemic shift in thinking towards sustainability, renewables. And I think it's a great you know, showcase now to see not just what Tesla has been doing, but how they have disrupted the industry. And as a result, all the majors have, have of course, now jumped on board in terms of that sort of exponential growth of EVs, et cetera. Absolutely. And I think if you look at the last few years with COVID and the amount of change that we've experienced, is that organisations um, were quite polarised. It was almost like there was a pre-COVID business model and a post-COVID business model and the ones that survived, actually studying and researching and understanding why that was the case was really fascinating. And we've almost shifted to a focus on what will humans need. And we also talk about the world's biggest challenges are the world's biggest business opportunities. And so there was a, um, there was a scene, actually, it's very nice being back in Australia. I was living over in the US on and off before COVID hit and there was military rolling out into New York City and at the same time here in Australia there was our military were packing groceries for Woolworths and Coles and it's almost like how do you actually then pair it back to your own business model and think do humans need 
what I'm selling. And we've experienced a huge amount of consumerism and you look at first order and second order consequences. Can we actually shift that consumerism to being what humans need in a sustainable way? Or can we provide something that's actually going to be making things a lot better for those other industries that are doing things that uh, need a little bit of help? Mm. So based on your own history, you've been part of the Entrepreneurs' Organisation now for a number of years. What's the you know, what's the embryo of EO and the UN sort of converging and what's EO's role, do you think, as a sort of a conduit for driving the UN sustainable development goals forward? I think we have an incredible opportunity with the power of our members, thinking about close to 15,000 members, I think it is internationally, and what we're able to do as a collaborative organisation so if, uh, I had an analogy in the past that I thought that small business and startups were the ones that were going to change the world because they were like speedboats and you can actually shift and you can pivot or pirouette as we're calling it at the moment and being able to change quite quickly, whereas large corporates and organisations were almost like cruise ships. They were a lot more powerful, but it took them a longer time to steer. But if you actually think about all of our vehicles together and what we're able to do together, we can act fast and we can have an impact so the opportunity that we have as members to be able to collaborate and work together, we can be first to market, we can make a bigger impact, we can utilise technology and we can actually solve a lot of problems by working together. Mm. And I think there's a real sense now as well, whether it, you know, whether you're B2B or, or B2C or B2B2C, is that any customer now wants to know whether your company, your brand is, are you part of the problem or are you part of the solution moving forward and certainly less money will be spent on companies that actually represent the incumbent you know the status quo the problem that we're all facing of climate change right and they want to see solution-led purpose-led brands and that's where the dollar is also going and i think that sort of sense reminds me even of some of the sort of fundamental tenets of, of, of EO and, and Vern Harnish's books on scaling up, et cetera, or, you know, Mike Michalowicz, Profit First, all these great, you know, pieces of wisdom that has imbued the culture of EO. I think all of them, while fantastic, also now have this additional lens that sustainability actually drives profitability. It potentially also enables you to scale and that it's going to be very, very hard to scale in the future without performing well on ESG factors. Have you, have you got any thoughts or reflections on, on that rant? Oh, goodness. Uh, I love that you mentioned ESGs, and I think measuring our impact is going to be even more uh, important in the future. I am totally obsessed with data and data science, and one of the, uh, one of the, the key pieces of information that really stuck with me is that currently on the planet we have about 50 billion devices and 1 trillion sensors. And in the next 10 years, we're going to have 500 billion devices and 100 trillion sensors. And I'm calling it a future of perfect knowledge where you can know anything, anywhere, anytime. And I have a lot of interesting conversations about privacy and, you know, what does it mean and, you know, how are we actually showing up? And so you mentioned sharing stories and, you know, what we're actually doing. We, we are almost being filmed 
at every moment of our life now. And that's quite scary. We're being filmed right now. But if you think about CCTV camera, you think that, um, you know, maybe our devices may be listening, which is fabulous if you're actually in an emergency and you can ask for help and it's all voice recognition at the moment. So without um, going too far down that path, I think authentic leadership as organisations is just really cool to be able to have that transparency, to be able to share that you're doing really great stuff. So, um, you know, I, I kind of latched on a little bit there to, you know, the reporting and the impact and all the rest. But at the moment, I think if we've actually quick to market and we're really great in our branding and our marketing, that's one of the things I love about EO is we're constantly learning and then there's opportunities to be able to understand what's happening in the world and we can implement things quite quickly. So the love, I would love the learnings from this podcast to be just take one thing and then be able to apply it and take action. Mm. And so if that or just, you know, our last comment there is around ESGs and it's about reporting, understanding that we've got a power through marketing and th- through being filmed at the moment and getting our message out to the world, but we've also got a legacy that we're building just based on how we're being recorded at mm. the moment. So being able to move fast and shift to sustainability and shift to making an impact now is actually going to be remembered for a really long time about how we actually showed up yeah. as courageous leaders. I mean, your your background, I mean, you're a bit of a polymath in this regard, a little bit of a re- renaissance woman um, with lots of skills under your belt. Um, and so, but one of those areas is finance and, and, and the dollars and accounting, et cetera. So, you know, and I think of, you know, experiences I've had on my EO journey through, you know, the 1% and the, you know, the levers, you know, you can increase your price, you can, you know, decrease your cost of goods, you know, you can reduce, you know, the amount of time it takes to get paid, you know, cash flow conversion cycles, et cetera. I feel like sustainability is one of those levers that actually should be part of, of this conversation, certainly from a, you know, a branding perspective. And it's not about greenwashing, it's about actually doing the right thing becoming B Corp certified, for example. And we all recognize that it's a it's a journey of transition and and transforming into into something new. I'm curious from from your perspective when it comes to accounting, finance, do, do you think that these are going to be factors that we have to actually report on beyond the sort of traditional bottom line to have a sort of a triple bottom line approach to how we how we run our ent- enterprises moving forward? Oh, there's so much in there and I'm smiling because you're asking me about finance and you know, it's my it's my thing. So I am a CFO by trade and one of the biggest things that I realised is that as a CFO, we're always measuring where are we at, where do we want to be and the gap analysis is essentially our action plan. And when I learn about all these technologies that are coming and changing every industry and every person in the next mm. 10 years, that's why I started getting more into education. It's like, hey, everybody, uh, you need to be conscious about this stuff, all of these different technologies that are coming along. And so that's put me down that path. My love, it's actually the, um, the balanced scorecard approach was invented 50 years ago, which was actually measuring fin- not just financial metrics. And we know that what gets measured is what gets where where focus goes, energy mm-hmm. flows. And so how do you actually have those KPIs within your teams that are actually encouraging not just financial reward, but then also the impact on your community, the impact on the environment, whether it be people or planet. And by implementing that, it's it, it can significantly 
shift an organization. So much I can go into on this topic. Um, but uh, we've talked about, you know, we've talked about dollars. We've talked about doing what's right. We've talked about scale. Why this podcast? Why should people yeah. tune in? Why is this interesting for entrepreneurs or members of EO? Yep. What do they need to know I'm from gonna, this? Yeah, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to touch just on the finance angle of that as well, just to start off, because I believe the new definition of a billionaire is someone that can impact a billion people. And that's not financial. However, where you do impact a lot of people, the money then comes. And so uh, I'm really interested in the psychology of money. And if we're actually thinking about this and making an impact, I've spoken to so many business owners where they actually, they want to implement more sustainable packaging or they want to do things a little bit different, but the cost of it is actually higher than um, other packaging is that's not so good for the environment, just as an, an example. And I think when we look at that and we look at our client base and who we're actually selling to, we might be missing out on a large market. And if you're selling to large corporates or um, clients or businesses that are reporting on their ESGs as well, they're typically prepared to pay a premium. And I was just talking to a client yesterday and they do a lot of Aboriginal culture work and they sell um, community-made weaving and art and whatnot. And we've been going through a transition where it's actually low revenue for some of those products, but it's making such a big difference. And if you can think about the different markets that might be willing to pay a lot more money, who it's part of their own KPIs or cultural KPIs or sustainability KPIs, there's a market out there to sell a much larger valued product from that. And one of the projects that we actually did with Aboriginal art at the moment is we're creating an NFT for some of the artwork, but we're getting a print on a private jet in Germany of this Aboriginal artwork and the license fees for that artwork are actually going back to the local community and it's doing things just by shifting the business model just a little bit. And so bringing it to this podcast, I think it's sharing ideas and actions of what local uh, or what our actual EO members are doing. And when you think about some of the actions that they're taking, and just as an example there with that business, with the Aboriginal artwork, is there ways that you can implement actions in your business to be able to get ahead of the curve and maintain that competitive advantage that our members may have? Mm. And I think the power of that and just talking about nano learnings and, and actions, it's one of those small things that people can do so that they're not overwhelmed by this topic. Yeah. And of course, this is why we want to highlight on a very local le level what entrepreneurs are doing across the 17 UN SDGs. And to give people a sense that there is some low hanging, medium hanging and high hanging fruit of, you know, pivots you can make in your own business. Maybe sometimes it's just changing your packaging. Sometimes it might be going with a more sustainable bank, for example. Sometimes it's switching your, you know, energy suppliers, but giving people real sort of you know, tangibles that they can implement in their business ASAP. And I think those stories within the context of EO, within the context of gestalt, of experiential sharing of what actually works is, is so powerful. And that's really what we want this podcast to be doing. Absolutely. And 
education around the sub goals and the targets and what we're thinking about. How do we actually create some of those collaborations as well? If there's 169 sub targets within the SDGs and some of the members that will be on the podcast coming up are taking some really massive action around it that our listeners might want to join in on that movement as well. And that's what I love about EO is the collaborative nature and the ability to get together and be able to be part of these projects. So what do you think makes Sydney and the Sydney chapter such a unique chapter for being the custodian and the the stewards of of this conversation? I have a really uh, personal passion for helping Australia have a disproportionate impact globally. And I think as a chapter here in Sydney, we're quite a large chapter. So how do we actually highlight the, you know, punching above our weight, as we we may call it here in Australia, of what we are able to do down here. And I think um, like anything, local leadership and thinking local um, but acting globally as well can be quite powerful. So Mm -hmm. it's about those actions, sharing those actions. And there's some incredible members here that are doing incredible things that people might not have heard about. And I'd love to inspire international Mm -hmm. chapters to think more about impact and think about actions and what they can actually do as well. And I think the other sense here is I'm also thinking about some of the real climate issues that we face in a really, you know, real fashion here in Australia and that also the effects of climate change will have a disproportionate impact potentially in Australia. We've seen that with the bushfires, for example, but also there is this sense that we are on very sacred grounds. You know, we we acknowledge the traditional owners of this land who've been, you know, the custodians of this land and, you know, we do a cap nod to you know the elders past, present and future. And the Indigenous peoples of Australia have always had this really amazing relationship with the natural environment. And we're still learning from that. I mean, even, you know, whether it's conservation, whether it's, um, you know, the natural cycle of some bushfires to actually regenerating um, bushland, for example, only, you know, some eucalyptus trees, for example, will only you know, be able to be regenerated once, you know, the seeds are actually exposed to fire. So even that very destructive force, there's even this sort of, you know, creative origin within that sort of creation story. And at the same time, Australia's, of course, also ultra-modern, uh, very innovative, but then, you know, our emissions per capita is um, debaucherously high at the moment. So it's this, you know, it's this opportunity plus challenge at the same time. So I'm, you know, super excited to be part of this conversation. And certainly when I think about environmental, social and governance or people, planet and profit, I do think that sometimes entrepreneurs, sometimes organizations kind of focus too much in one area. And uh, I know, um, you know, I've shared this story of, of my mother's business in Stockholm, Sweden, that after 104 years in business, while mum was focusing on environmental and, and, and people, people and planet, you know, she forgot about the governance and, and, and actually making a profit and very much ran a non-for-profit or a loss-making enterprise, which when the pandemic came along, really shown up that she'd been focusing too much on the past and too little on the future. So I think getting this balance between people, planet and profit really needs to become a part of every entrepreneur's conversation Absolutely. looking forward. And thinking about with that, so many people lead with their heart and it's philanthropic or with their head and it's profit. And how do you synthesize your head, your heart and your hands within that purpose? 
And I love that we've just got so much wisdom here. I was having a conversation last night uh, with my dear friend who's Aboriginal about the wisdom and uh, talking about Australia and the impact we can have. We have such a large landmass and so our emissions are quite high because of the environmental um, way that we've made money in the past and our exports have all traditionally been digging things out of the dirt and sending them overseas. And then we also, um, the traditional owners of the land, in Australia, we actually didn't have as much fear and scarcity as the rest of the world. And so if you think of the amount of tribes and the conflict that other countries had, which was just actually fighting over land or over property or whatever it may be, we didn't uh, have that inability to coexist. We all coexisted so amazingly. We were actually talking about arranged marriage in Aboriginal culture and how there were song lines and you would actually have the, the verse and um, your verse from your tribe and then the chorus and then that went up and down the the coast of language and communication. Whilst we may not have had a formally recognised written communication, we had this incredible way of communicating within those tribes and the wisdom of that. And I think the more that we can embrace that and share that and learn in a way that we can embrace wisdom and then implement those things in harmony with the people and planet and profit, like you say, it's going to be really cool to share mm. some stories and, and learn together along this journey. I mean, yeah, we know stories are the best way to learn. Uh, so what kind of stories can people look forward to as they tune into the EO Sustainability Podcast moving forward? Oh, well, I won't give away our guest list just yet. Uh, however, we're going to go through the 17 Sustainable Development Goals and we're going to ask people some very specific questions around the actions that they're taking towards those sub-targets. So learning by experience, understanding, and we'll learn a little bit more about what those sub-targets are and how we actually can contribute, how our members are contributing and what they're doing and hopefully really inspiring stories uh, around each of those. And do you have a sort of passion UN sustainable development goal, one that you are particularly attuned to? Oh, goodness. We actually, we just had this conversation earlier and I didn't give a direct answer. I was actually saying, uh, you know, of the 17 sustainability goals, which ones are people related and which ones are planet related. And I've been very um, passionate about world hunger and how we waste 30% of the world's food. However, we've got hungry people on the planet and close to a billion people go to bed every night with food insecurity. And so some of those things, I just think, you know, with the technology and the times that we live in, surely we can solve those kind of issues. And so Maslow's hierarchy of needs and anything like that with uh, clean water and sanitation and everything is definitely dear to my heart. However, then I'm looking also as well as the, the land, life on land and life under the water. And I think... Uh, I work a lot in ocean conservation and you think that we've actually only had plastics in commercial production for 50 years and we've been able to pollute the earth in those 50 years. We will find solutions and there are solutions already that are going to solve those challenges. How are we thinking ahead even more? And at the moment we're actually doing a similar thing with what we did with the oceans, thinking it's so big we can actually throw things in the ocean and they just disappear. We're doing the thing in, the same in space at the moment and creating space junk and there's a lot of satellites going up and all sorts of things. So I can't choose one is the short answer. There you go. You're allowed to have and more than one, yours? by the way. <laughs> well, I like number 12. I think it particularly resonates, this idea of 
circularity and sustainable strategies from a consumption and production perspective. And uh, when I did some executive education at, at Cambridge, that was a big focus on how technology is helping us sort of reverse engineer our logistics processes, have a you know a circular approach to the supply chain so that as a manufacturer, you know, you're responsible for the parts. You know, you you might be consuming either virgin or recycled planetary materials, uh, but through the whole life cycle of those goods, you are the custodian and the steward of, you know, even when you've sold it on to, you know, the end consumer, the end user, you're responsible. And I think the business models of circularity are truly exponential. Uh, and I mean, just a quick example of that and how that actually makes us become more productive while treading, you know, more lightly on, on the planet, as, as Andrew McAfee uh, from MIT would call it, um, is, of course, the iPhone. So the iPhone now means that, you know, Apple is one of the largest gold miners in the world because we bring back our gold, our cobalt, our lithium in our iPhones to the Apple store when we upgrade to the next model. So Apple is part of this circular economy. They take back the goods, they're responsible for it, and then they turn those items into you know the next version. It might, might not be your exact phone, right? But somebody else benefits uh, as they use those parts again. So I think this idea of technology, of exponentiality, treading more lightly on the planet while we actually become more productive, I think that story is, uh, is one that's really powerful. And uh, it also highlights this idea of the conscious consumer and that they're expecting as they've become more conscious that capitalists, which as entrepreneurs we all are, that we're also elevating into conscious capitalism as Raj Sisodia and John Mackey from, from Whole Foods would call it. So long answer, but number 12. So I do have a final question for you, and that is what is – a call to action that you'd love for our listeners to take? Well, Lisa, I would love you to start subscribing to the podcast and vodcast. And of course, take some lessons from it and get in tune with your own why you're in business and see which goals you can actually start hitting uh, in a fairly easy and practical way by being inspired by all the great stories. What about Absolutely. you? For me, it's Always just think of one thing that you've learned today that will change your tomorrow and take one action. So we're taking that action as well. If you do think of any other members and anyone that you know that's making significant actions towards the SDGs that you can recommend that should be a part of this podcast, then please refer them to us. We would love to have the conversation. Yes. Tell us about all those pebbles in the pond who can actually help us scale this message across the world and to inspire everyone else to action towards creating very sustainable enterprise that's scalable. <laughs>